Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospels. Our goal here on the Listener's Commentary is to provide down-to-earth Bible teaching so that you can learn the Bible for yourself and live it out in your everyday life. Here in this session, we are looking specifically at really the background to the Gospels so that we can read the Gospels well and understand Jesus and his teaching a whole lot more. And specifically in this session, we want to look at the world of Jesus and the Gospels. Because it's a different world than us. And part of the reason we struggle to understand the Gospels is because we just don't get the culture. And we don't get what it was like to live then. Or we don't know the, the, the geography or the people or all of that. And so in order to understand the Gospels more fully, we have to enter into their world and figure out who these people are and where these places are and how did they talk to each other and what debates were they wrestling with because so much of that is what lies behind Jesus's teaching in the Gospels. This is really the case with all of the Bible. We need to remember that even though the Bible is written for us, it wasn't originally written to us, and the culture shapes the way the Bible speaks and what the Bible talks about and the questions they're wrestling with. One of the ways I've described this is, is that reading the Bible is like visiting a foreign country in a time machine. That's really what we get. And so if we're going to understand the Gospels well, we've got to get in our time machine. We've got to go to the foreign country and at least to some degree or another try to understand what was it like to live then? And so in this session, that's what I want to focus on. What was it like, at least a little bit, to live in Jesus' day and in Israel in Jesus' day so that we could at least understand what's going on a little more fully when we read the Gospels? So let's first start with geography. It would actually help if you got out uh, the map in the back of your Bible or Googled a map of Israel in the first century and just get the lay of the land for where things are. That would actually help just by itself a lot of your reading of the gospel. Um, what we need to do is at least have the major kind of regions um, in our mind so that we can understand really what's going on in at least some of the stories. So up north in Israel, you have Galilee. And Galilee is marked by the Sea of Galilee really a lake, a freshwater lake up in the north um, at the kind of almost, not quite, but almost at kind of the beginning of the Jordan River. So the Sea of Galilee um, in the north and the region of Galilee around it, Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, was there in Galilee. Much of Jesus' ministry actually took place in the towns and villages of Galilee, oftentimes on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, um, his kind of base of operations for his ministry, Capernaum, is up in Galilee, um, up kind of to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee up there. Um, now, south of Galilee, you have the region of Samaria. And Samaria was home to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were really remnants from the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 BC. Old Testament history there. If you're not familiar with that, you know, we can learn that in other places. But in short, uh, Israel 
divided into north and south. The northern kingdom often went by the title Israel in the Old Testament. Southern kingdom went by the title Judah. Well, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians in 722. And the Assyrian foreign policy was to try to wipe out foreign cultures by uh, intermingling and intermarrying them. Well, that's who the Samaritans are. The Samaritans are um, leftovers from that. And so they're kind of half blood Israelites, um, intermixed with um, the Gentile, other Gentile cultures and all of that. And there was deep hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so you have Galilee in the north, you have the region of Samaria um, to the south of that, half-breeds left over from the Assyrian invasion, and the Samaritans really looked down on and were hostile towards the Jews. The Jews returned the favor, were hostile to them, and there was a lot of mutual hostility between them. That's going to affect the story at times as well. So we need to at least be familiar with that, talk more about that in a second. And then um, to the south of Samaria, you have the region of Judea. This is where Bethlehem is. This is where Jerusalem is located. This is where the temple is located. And in a lot of ways, it's the religious capital of the Jewish people in the first century. And so this is the location of Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus travels from Galilee to Jerusalem for Passover or for any feast, he's going south into the region of Judea. So that's at least the major regions. Galilee Samaria, Judea, working north to south. Another factor that affects culture is politics. And so what we need to understand is a little bit about the politics of the day that affected Jesus and Israel. And the most important piece of that is Roman occupation. Um, the Romans were the dominant world power in the Mediterranean world in the first century. They had been that for uh, almost a century, depending on our exact dating of things. And so they were in charge, and the Romans ruled really with an iron fist. They were in charge. They didn't want anything to uh, affect their authority or subvert their authority. They had brought a remarkable amount of peace to the realm, but that peace was affected by a kind of a crushing military might. And so we need to understand that. And the Romans often ruled Israel by either client kings, such as Herod. So when you hear the name Herod, Herod is not really a Roman. He's a client king ruling on behalf of the Romans. Or they rule the area with Roman governors, such as Pilate. So Pontius Pilate is actually a Roman governor appointed by Rome to rule. And it just depended on the particular time period, and it had a lot to do with uh, kind of keeping the peace and what the Romans thought was the best way to rule the area. So client kings at some point in times and governors at other point in times. This meant that the local populace was living under foreign occupation. Roman military presence was a continual reminder of this, and they were everywhere. In fact, Rome itself had built a barracks for their military right next to the temple, like actually with a stairwell between the temple and their barracks. So if things got out of hands, if a riot was in danger of breaking out, they had access to the temple complex immediately. And so they're in Jerusalem at the heart of empire next to the temple that was a reminder of 
Roman occupation and Roman authority and Roman power. Not only that, Rome kept the pieces I mentioned by crushing military might everywhere. Um, and so the government had its official, the Roman government had its official headquarters in Caesarea, but there was a strong military force in Jerusalem at all time. Taxes were paid to Rome as well as uh, there were Jewish taxes that had to be paid. And so the weight of taxation was huge. Um, and with time, um, the Jews became more kind of antagonistic towards the Romans. The Romans became more antagonistic towards the Jews. Uh, the, Jew, the Romans imposed more burdensome taxes, found other means to extract money from the people, and they ruled with a heavy hand. So Jewish disdain for the Romans and their occupation of Palestine progressively grew. Uh, Palestine was a place of division and great unrest as a result. And so from uh, the from Jesus' birth until about A.D. 70, at least, if not beyond, and really it was beyond, uh, Palestine, Israel, existed in a mood of rebellion, ready to be fanned into flames by expectations and dreams of God vindicating his people. And so there were isolated protests, there were sporadic violence, there were occasional revolts. Rebellion and revolt was in the air. Um, that was just part of the political nature because of the Roman occupation. What about religion? Religion shapes culture as well. And so a little bit about the religious setting of first century uh, Israel as well. You read through the Gospels and you hear groups like the Samaritans, as we've already mentioned those. We'll come and talk about them a little bit more here in a second. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. You hear about Zealots and Herodians. These are all different religious groups or sects, S-E-C-T-S, religious groups that shaped kind of the religious milieu, the religious environment in which Jesus is ministering and in which Jesus calls his disciples. So who were these various groups? So let's talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, were non-priests. They were often small landowners, shop owners, or craftsmen. Um, they Kind of were if if there really there really wasn't a full middle class, but if there was, the Pharisees would have probably fit into that. They were sort of um, average people that were slightly better off, and as a result, they had more influence with the commoners than the wealthy Sadducees that we'll talk about in a second. And the Pharisees emphasized Torah and tradition. Torah is the the law, the Old Testament scriptures, especially the first five books of Moses, although they accepted the prophets and the writings as scripture as well. So the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, that's that's the Bible of the Pharisees that help them understand God and what God wanted. And then in, on top of Torah, the old scriptures, they also accepted tradition, the tradition of the rabbis, the traditions of the teachers. The traditions were the interpretations and applications of God's law. How do you live these things out in their day and age? The world had changed from Moses' day when the law was given to the Pharisees' day. And so how do we keep that out? Well, that's what the tradition was. The tradition was they're wrestling with what does the law mean? How does that apply in our cultural context? Um, and they gave that tradition really binding authority. It was important that, that, that it was, this is how you know you are pleasing God. Um, their goal, in their own words, was to build what they called a fence around the law. So the law had its 
uh, 600 and something commands. We don't want to break the law. That's what led to exile, you know, in the past. We don't want to do that again. We want to keep the law and be as holy and pure as we possibly can. So let's think through how do we do that? And so they would give specific rulings, specific uh, teachings and rulings about here's how what it means to keep the Sabbath. Here's what it means to keep uh, this particular law. Here's what it means to keep this particular law. And they would they would debate some of these things amongst themselves, but they would have specific interpretations and specific applications to build what they called this fence around the law. In other words, if you didn't cross, you know, go beyond the boundary of the fence and and violate that then you certainly wouldn't violate the law itself. And that was sort of the objective of this oral law, this tradition, this rabbinic teaching that had been passed on from generation to generation. So that's the Pharisees. Their goal was to be as pure and as holy as possible. They're often criticized in the Gospels for being hypocrites, and Jesus had specific reasons for that. We'll have to read closely as we look at the Gospels and think that through. But remember, the motivation behind all that was holiness and purity and keeping God's Word. Uh, Jesus just had some complaints about how they did that and how they imposed those burdens on others and didn't always keep them themselves, and that's the reason they got called hypocrites. So Pharisees, that's one group. Um, They had a lot of popular appeal, and they were a Jewish holiness movement. What about the other group, the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees um, were the party of wealthy priests and their friends from the aristocracy. Uh, they, they were the ones that uh, were in charge of the temple and kind of kept the temple calendar and kept the temple going. They, they were from the, the aristocratic class of noblemen. And so they were open to the influence of Greek culture. They were interested in preserving their status and their power. And so they tended to be pro-Roman. They were willing to work with the Romans and compromise with the Romans in order to maintain their positions of wealth and power. They accepted as scripture only the written law of Moses. That was the authoritative teachings of God. So only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was their scriptures. They didn't really accept the rest as authoritative for forming doctrine. Um, and and so they didn't they didn't keep or view as authoritative the oral law of the Pharisees. Um, they didn't view as having the same weight the writings and the prophets of the Old Testament, other than the law itself. That's actually why they denied the resurrection. They didn't see it explicitly being taught in the five books of Moses. That's why when they asked Jesus a question about the resurrection, he actually quotes a passage from the five books of Moses. That's what they viewed as authoritative. And so that's what he was going to talk with them about. And so um, most of the ordinary average Jews didn't have much of a relationship with the Sadducees or have much liking for them. They were the wealthy, uh, aristocratic people and, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of popular connection or popular appeal. Sadducees. The other group that we've already mentioned a little bit are the Samaritans. They were considered foreigners, and yet they shared many of the same religious convictions as the Jews. Um, because they were, as we noted above, they, they were remnants of the Jewish people left over from the Assyrian invasion. And so they had their own copy of the Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch. They had their own copy of the law that had some distinctive edits and additions uh, that favored them. 
they had their own place of worship, Mount Gerizim, and they had their own priesthood. And they, the faithful, at least among the Samaritans, viewed themselves as the true keepers of the law. The Jews viewed them with hostility, and the Samaritans returned the favor. And so as we watch Jesus' interaction with the Samaritans, we are crossing cultures. We are crossing social barriers in order to minister to and reach out to the Samaritans. There are other groups that show up in the Gospels, but these are three big ones that shape the story. So we'll leave it there for now with that for the religious setting, and we'll touch base on some of the others as they show up in the story. Now, what was daily life like for the average person of Jesus' day, the the common Jew living in Israel in the first century? Well, most people lived in small towns, small villages, without a wall around them. The walled cities tended to be places like Jerusalem and others, uh, on which those smaller villages kind of looked to and relied for provision and for protection in times of war and all that. So most people lived in small towns and villages um, where, uh, you know, they were made out of the earth around them, mud brick homes and all of that. They were surrounded by farms and fields that uh, the villagers worked in order to provide for their own uh, food and their own keep. Most villagers lived in small homes made from natural resources. Uh, they had few furnishings, a table, maybe a bench. Uh, mats to sleep on woven of palm reeds were common. In the dry season, the houses teemed with insects and dust filled the air. And in the wet season, the ceiling may drip with mud and water. Men frequently spent their days working their trade. So if they're a, a carpenter or a stone worker, such as Jesus's father, Joseph, he would spend his day doing that. And um, Or if they were a fisherman like Peter and Andrew and James and John, then they would spend either their nights or their days working their trade. And so men's time was consumed working their trade. And women's activities revolved around the home, sweeping, cleaning, cooking, drawing water, milking goats, grinding flour for bread. The activities of the day tended to focus on survival. And evenings were often a time for relaxing, maybe on the rooftop, playing with the children, reading the scriptures, or gathering with the men of the village to share stories, read the scriptures, or to pray. There tended to be two classes more than three. There were the wealthy and the workmen. The wealthy uh, often lived in the cities in large homes that were extravagantly furnished with expensive couches and fancy carpets, and they had servants to attend to their needs. They owned the land and rented it out to tenor farmers who worked the land on behalf of the wealthy. But the majority of the population were the workmen. Uh, The poorest of the poor would be slaves and day laborers who didn't, uh, if you were a day laborer, you didn't have steady income. You would go to a a well-known spot in town in the morning and hope that maybe a farmer or somebody who needed some work would hire you for the day. The majority were laborers and craftsmen, the the stonemasons and the carpenters and the fishermen. And at times there tended to be hostility between these two classes because the workmen barely could could you know provide for their family and life wasn't always easy and the wealthy oftentimes took advantage of them and uh, and so there tended to be tension at times between the wealthy and the workmen. 
In some, Israel in the first century was a land of contrast and tension. There were many faithful Jews who sought God, who kept the covenant, and who were looking for God's vindication of and deliverance of his people. They were devout, and they sought to please God as best as they could. We meet these people in the pages of the Gospels. We meet them right at the beginning, say, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, where we meet the parents of John the Baptist, who are described as faithful and devout. This was a lot of the people. Uh, there were religious leaders committed to the text and tradition who sometimes were more concerned with external piety than compassion, but who wanted to be faithful to God. There were others, prostitutes, tax collectors, and ordinary folks who had little time for the text and who were trying to save their own skin. There were Romans and Gentile leaders that were scattered throughout the land. There were rich and poor. And in the midst of this world, a real living, breathing world with all sorts of hopes and dreams and fears and longings, into the midst of this world, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It is into this world that Jesus came. And it's into this world that he grew up and he spoke and he acted and he taught. And so the more we can understand this world, the more we'll actually understand who Jesus is and what his teaching means, and then how to translate that teaching into the world of today as well.